turn in our Bibles at this stage of the meeting to Psalm 82, to the 82nd Psalm. We're going to read, it's only a short uh, Psalm, so we'll read the whole of the Psalm, the 82nd Psalm, beginning our reading at verse 1. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty, he judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked Selah? Defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They not, know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said ye are gods, all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Amen. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts for his name's sake. I want to Consider those words in verses 6 and 7. I said, you're gods, and all of you are, the, are children of the Most High, but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Amen. We know again that God will bless his word. Let's unite in prayer. Our loving God and our Father, we thank thee for the opportunity of coming to thee. We think of this psalm speaks, Lord, of the mighty. We think of the judges that are being in many ways condemned in this psalm. And Lord, we recognize that there are the mighty of this world and in this day and generation. But Lord, we think of the reminder that the psalmist brings that that mightiness comes to an end. And we are conscious of that today. And we recognize that what we are, we will be throughout eternity in the hands of God. And so we pray that men and women might look to thee, might know thy grace, might know thy mercy. And, O God, that there might be those that will wend their way to Calvary and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Now, the text of Scripture that I have taken tonight is one that was preached on by the Reverend William Payne in the parish church of St. Mary Whitechapel on the death of Queen Mary II. Queen Mary II, of course, is the wife or was the wife of William of Orange. Um, she was a queen in her own right. She was as much a queen as Queen Elizabeth is because you'll know that uh, when William was on the throne that he and Mary... Uh, reigned as co-regents so both of them she wasn't a queen consort like camilla is but she was a queen in her own right and just like today when the queen died there was great consternation in the land and there were many that took up the subject of the death of the queen william Payne was one of the uh, he was one of the royal chaplains so in many ways he had a job to do that but on the death of Mary II on the 28th of December, 1694, William Payne preached on this text. And we want to think about it in relation to the death of our late sovereign lady, 
Queen Elizabeth II. And, of course, the news of her death is something that has dominated the news over the last uh, week or so or beyond since she passed away uh, Thursday week ago. And we have had the outpouring of love and respect to her that has been given. I think of the uh, respect that she has been given in the long queues that people have been standing in, in uh, Edinburgh, where there was um, not a line in state, but something like a line in state. There were long queues. People joined the queue in the early hours of the morning to be able to get in. One woman that the BBC interviewed said that she was eight hours in that queue to get in to uh, pass by and pay respects to the body of the late Queen. And of course, there's been a completely uh, multiplied phenomenon as the body is laying in state there in the Westminster Hall in London. The queues have been up to 25 hours long. Uh, they expect maybe about over a third of a million or up to 400,000 people will come to view the coffin over the next little while. And it is a massive um, undertaking and logistics and all the rest of it. And we think of how people have been queuing right through the night, right into the next day in order to come in. And you've heard the news of the camaraderie in the queue and how people have said that it is worth it to come in the politicians are coming from all over the world, are being entertained in Buckingham Palace at the present time. Presidents, uh, maybe from uh, every nation upon earth, except a few that haven't been invited. And we think of the great respect that uh, the Queen was held in over the last little while. But as we come to this text of Scripture, I think that we can learn some things about what is happening at the present time. We can learn some things about the death of a sovereign or the death of a ruler because the psalm here is dealing with rulers. Now, it's really dealing with wicked rulers, wicked judges here. Uh, look at verse 1. It says, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. Now, we come to explain the word gods there in this text of Scripture I think we're going to have to explain it because it's used for false doctrine today. But the gods there really are these rulers. They are those that are standing in the place of God in order to rule. And we think of the uh, queen. Uh, she discharged a God-given duty as a ruler in her day and generation. And we see that God is the one who is sovereign over all of these. He's able to judge them. You can see that even there in the first verse. It says, Elohim, really in the Hebrew, Elohim standeth in the congregation of the El. He judgeth among the Elohim. And there are different values for Elohim. We'll come, come to that in a wee while. But I want to remind you today that the fact about that no matter what your fame is, no matter how much power you have, there is one above all to whom we give an account. And we want to think about that as we come to this portion of Scripture. We want to give thanks to God for the rule and reign of the late Queen. We want to, in our minds, come with respect to think of these things. But we also draw lessons from 
the Holy Scriptures as we always should do. And so we want to look at this text of Scripture, applying them to the late Queen, but bringing us lessons that we all must learn. And the first thing as we think about our Queen that we can learn from in this text of Scripture is the position that she had. If you look at verses 6 and 7, look at them again. He says, I have said, your gods and all of you are children of the Most High, but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. And he speaks there about the prince or the ruler, speaking there about the sovereign who dies. And he says, we die like men. And we think of this, there is a sense here, they were gods in the sense that they had authority from God. They had a certain lordship. They had a certain position. They had a, a certain rule here. The Bible says that we should give respect to those that are in authority over us. It says in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So we are to respect their rulers. We are to give them their proper place. We are to give them their proper respect. And you'll, you notice in that text of Scripture that it says quite specifically, the powers that be are ordained of God. He refers also in that portion of Scripture a couple of times to the rulers being God's ministers. Now, the ancient ceremony of coronation, that is recognized because the queen was anointed with oil. You go back to the Old Testament and to the uh, uh, anointing of Saul as king, the anointing of David as king, and, of course, the queen counted that as the most sacred part of the ceremony when she was anointed with oil, that she was set apart to be a ruler. And when they had that ceremony, they brought the canopy across where she was so that she was shrouded from the cameras and was counted as perhaps the most sacred moment, not the crowning, but the anointing, because it was a recognition that her power came from God. It was a recognition of the place that Scripture gives to rulers. And we think of how that comes in right into the very coronation ceremony itself. Now, the position of monarch, of course, has changed. And today, it's very much diminished in its power. Since the glorious, ref uh, the glorious revolution, when William and Mary came to the throne, the real power has been vested in the ministers, the prime minister, and the government. That is Her Majesty's government. They rule in her stead, but really they have power to make decisions and to forge policies that they want. But rulers are given a very clear task from God. They are to be terror to those that are um, wicked. We, God doesn't advocate terror in any way. But while they, uh, that is so, we think of how it does advocate that criminals and evil men be dealt with. But while the queen doesn't exercise at the minute any real power, she has what has been called soft power. She's the power of advice. She's the power 
uh, to give her wisdom at weekly audiences with the prime minister and ministers of state across the different uh, provinces, and with all the opportunities to address the nation and to address gatherings across the nation, there is something of what we could call a soft power. And we think of how God has set over us a, a, a lady that had a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we recognize the blessing that that is. There are many things that we disagree with that maybe she did, but nevertheless, we do thank God for rulers, and we pray for rulers who will be over us, who will glorify God in the midst. But I want you to notice, and we're going to come to this and deal with this for a wee minute, because there are extreme, there are Mormons, extreme charismatics, who will use these portions of Scripture to teach their doctrines of the heretical doctrine of little gods. You'll notice in verse 6, I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are the children of the Most High. And the Mormons and the extreme charismatics will use that to say that we are all gods. Those who are saved, those that know the Lord, that we are little gods. Kenneth Copeland is a self-declared multimillionaire, and he is a preacher well-known in charismatic circles. And he said this blasphemous statement, and I almost hesitate to repeat it, but I think I need to repeat it in order to show you what these people teach. He says, and I say this with all respect so that it don't upset you too bad. Um, the, the grammar leaves something to me. But, but I, I said anyways, I'm quoting, when I read in the Bible where he's, he, that's God, says, I am, I just smile and says, yes, I am too. Now, what he's claiming there is that he is I am. Now, that is completely blasphemous. Now, in case you think that I am taking his words out of context, he explained what he meant by that on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. He said, I am a God. Man was created in the God class, was not created in the animal class. It was the God's class. He has a uniqueness about him that even angels do not have. Now, Peter said by, said, by exceeding great and precious promises, you become partakers of the divine nature. All right, are we gods? We are a class of gods. God himself spawned us from his innermost being. Now, that's completely false doctrine. We are not spawned from God's innermost being. God, the Bible says, took of the clay of the ground and made man out of the clay of the ground. If we're spawned out of the innermost being of God, maybe we would be God, but that's not what the Bible says. And we think of these people, people like uh, Kenneth Copeland, uh, Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, Kenneth Hagen, many others around the world. It's becoming very popular amongst uh, people who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is complete heresy. Now, you'll notice here that God is speaking to wicked men. He's speaking to wicked men and he says, you're gods. Now, if we're to be gods, then 
God has purity. God has complete holiness. God is perfect. What God is actually doing here is mocking these people for taking the place of God, for misusing the place that God has given them. That's really what is taking place here. But they're anything but holy. You can see how they don't defend the poor and the fatherless. And he goes down a list of sins there. They're not holy. Not only are they not holy, but here he is speaking to people who uh, uh, we, we think of how uh, God is eternal. Well, they're not eternal. He says in verse 7, But ye shall die like men. And he says, this is not divinity. This is not uh, divinity. We, we think of how when the Lord Jesus uh, claimed to be God, he said, I, in John chapter 10, he said, I and my Father are one. And what happened? Did the Jews say, oh, yes, that's part of the fact that we are all God's doctrine. Oh, we have read that in the Psalm 82. We're, we are God's. Did they say that? No, the Bible says that they took up stones to stone him because that was a blasphemy to claim that he was God, that he was the I am, as uh, Kenneth, uh, uh, Kenneth Copeland has claimed. And so there is no doctrine of little gods that is found in the Bible. These people are not divine as we would count God in his divinity. But Let's me say this, while we're not gods, we may not be gods in the sense of divinity. We, we, don't, we are not uh, partakers of the divine nature in that sense. We're partakers of the divine nature in that God has brought us and joined us to himself. That's how we're partakers of the divine nature. But we don't become gods or little gods or anything like. But I want to say this tonight, that while we don't become gods in that sense, God has given every blessing to his people. It says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And men, women, when we come to Christ, he gives us the highest honors, our honors beyond anything that we could ever think of or even desire in our hearts because they're far beyond our comprehension. And those who are in Christ are given eternal life and will never perish. Neither shall any man pluck us out of his hand. And he will make us perfect in that sense. We will be brought to him and all our sins will be dealt with. And they're washed away in the precious blood of the Lamb. And we will be with him throughout all eternity. What a blessing it is that God gives to those that trust in him. So we see the possession that she had. She's a ruler. She was ordained of God, as it were, appointed to that possession by the sovereign hand of God. And she had that responsibility that she discharged in many ways so well. And we thank God for the ruler that we had. But not only do I want you to see the position that she had, but I want you to think about the prospect that she had. The text says... I said, you're gods, and all of you are, the ch are children of the Most High. But then he says this, but ye shall die. Now, once again, we see the way that God is mocking these men. 
He's saying with the authority of God, well, you have this high position, you have this authority that has been given to you by God, but he says, but ye shall die. You'll die like men, he says. You'll die like the princes. And God is reminding these people that no matter how mighty they were and how uh, strong they were, they were going to die in the end of the day. And we have the inevitability of death. It has been a topic that people have been reflecting on over the last little while. I said to you at the prayer meeting that I was listening to the uh, television. Or I had it in the screen in, in the corner of my computer as I was doing a little bit of preparation. But um, when, the, when the television uh, program was on, uh, they were talking to a grief counsellor and they were asking about the Queen's faith and whether it was something that would stand to, to her when it came to death, whether it was going to help. And this grief counsellor admitted that all of the research had indicated that those that have a belief and have a trust, particularly in the Bible and what the Bible says, are able to face these things in far better state and with more peace in their heart than other people face it. You know the story of Voltaire, the great atheist, and how the nurse that was with him at the end said that she never wanted to witness anything like that again because he was a man that went out into eternity realizing that he was lost. But we think about the inevitability of death. And you think of Her Majesty this Queen. We all thought that she would go on for many, many years. She was 96 years of age. Um, logic would have told us that she was had many more years. And yet maybe we thought that she would go on to reach her 100th birthday and all of the rest of it. And we thought that she'd always be there. We think that about ourselves and many times. We think, seem to think... Well, we'll go on and on and on, and we think that nothing will in any way affect us. But on Thursday morning, we got the news. The doctors, and you notice doctors in the plural, said that the queen was not well. Now, you can see that she had greater care than uh, maybe the National Health Service would give you. Um, she had doctors with her. Today, many of us, I think, um, you have to phone up and you have to try and get an appointment and then you might get an appointment for a few weeks and then if, you get, if there's something wrong with you, you might wait a few years until you get the operation that you need. But that wasn't the case. You would have, the Queen would have got scans immediately. She would have had doctors with her all of the time when she needed doctors and probably that's the reason why she lived to 96 years of age. She had all of the attention that medical science could give her. But with all of that attention, there was no thwarting the hand of death when it came. And you know, in our minds, sometimes we try to think we'll always be here. Time will go on. We'll live to a good old age. The Bible reminds us in 2 Samuel 14, for we must needs die, and as water spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. The psalmist says in Psalm 88 verse 3, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. 
Job 17 and 13 says, If I wait, the grave is mine house. I have made my bed in darkness. And the queen lived to 96 and 70 years on the throne. But life is brief, like the falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheaf. It says in 1 Chronicles 29 and 15, For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there's none abiding. As the psalmist said, so teach us to number our days, that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. And there is reality, and there is the reality of death, and the inevitability of uh, death. And we think of uh, that for our own hearts, and we need to remember that. But not only is there the inevitability of death, but there's the sovereignty over death. For Samuel 2 and 6 says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. So the Lord is sovereign in death and in life. The thing about us is that we don't know the day when we'll die, but the Lord does. The Lord does. There's a day appointed. There's an hour appointed. There's a minute appointed. And we don't know what the circumstances may be, but the Lord does. And millions have already gone through the gates of death, as it were. But you know, we, there is God's sovereignty over these things. You know, while we don't know, we know that it can happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. God is sovereign over death. And you need to recognize that sovereignty as well. But then I want you to think about the finality of death. You see, death brings a full stop to life. Uh, we can be standing one day, caught up with money, caught up with business, but when the day of death comes, that comes to an end. It says to Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy, my, thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. And you know, we might have a lot of business to be done, but when death comes, that'll come to an end. We might have a lot of people to meet tomorrow, but if death was to come, it would bring an end to all of that. The carpenter might have a load of wood set on the desk ready to be sawed and uh, the joints put in. But when death comes, there's an end to that. The uh, person in the uh, bank might have many money transactions to be made. They might have many investments to look after. But when death comes, it brings an end to that. The minister may stand in the pulpit one day, but the next day when death comes, there will be an end to the sermons and an end to the preaching. And the last amen will have been said and the last benediction would have been made and it will come to an end at the end of the day. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Men, women, you might have all sorts of things that concern you, but you know the priority ought to be. The Bible says... Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
And all these things shall be added unto you. We think of the finality of death. But also we think of the victory over death. 1 Corinthians 15 and 55 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And we're glad of our blessed Redeemer, the Prince of Life, who gave his life on the cross of Calvary and died the death that we should die so that we might be free. And we can say, like it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 55, or 1 Corinthians 15, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, the death is swallowed up in victory. And there is victory over death in the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Sin is, or the death really, is the great uh, indication of sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ has won the victory over sin. And thank God you can have the victory tonight. Maybe you're thinking about death and you're thinking about these things over the last little while, like the commentators, like the people on the TV and on the radio have been speaking about these things. Maybe these things are in your mind. Maybe it's a good thing that these things are in your mind because it reminds you that you need to prepare to meet your God. So we see the prospect that she had and the position that she had but one more thing that I want you to see, and that's the passing that she had. Look again at the text. It says, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but ye shall die like men and fall like princes. How did these princes fall? They fell like men. And these uh, words are addressed to these men. They're not just men. They're wicked rulers here. But here they were princes, they were judges, they were magistrates, they were ruler. The Lord says, you'll die like men. And it indicates that these are not gods in the sense that we think about God and high. But they are men. And as men, they were sinners. Now we can see that they were particular obvious sinners. And if you look at verse 2, he says, how long Will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked Selah? In verse 5 he says, They know not, neither will they understand. They walk in darkness. So they are uh, those that walk with the wicked, and they are those that walk in darkness. So these are particularly wicked sinners. These are men whom the Lord in his word condemns. And the Lord takes time to condemn these people. They are walking in a sight in complete rebellion against him. But let's make it clear tonight, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible that says there is none that doeth good, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And while the, uh, these are particularly wicked sinners, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you'll notice something else, that God is able to tell them their precise sins. God is able to tell them what they have done because God in his sovereignty 
knows everything that we do and everything that we think. And we are told in the Bible that there are books written and they record our sins. And they're not for God because God knows everything at all times. But when it comes to the judgment, the books will be opened. And God will show you what you have done, what you've said, and what you've thought. And there are times when we maybe do things and we don't think the earth sin. To us, the uh, society around us has accepted those things. Or maybe even glorifies those things. Maybe even exalts those things. And maybe we don't recognize that they are sin or won't accept that they are sin. But when the books are open and the offense is laid out before you, the Bible says every mouth will be stopped. Because there's nothing that you can say. There's no excuse that you can make. Everything is there. Everything is recorded. And the Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And these are sinners, particularly wicked sinners. And you can see that while they're referred to as gods, they're certainly far from being divine. And they die like men. And you know, we will all die like men. We will die physically. Those that are saved and washed in the precious blood, our souls will go on. Because that's the other thing. If they die like men, they die because of sin. But also if they die like men, we recognize that they have a soul. Men are human beings in general, men, women, and the Bible used men just as a um, a way of saying humanity. We recognize that there is something that is in man, and it is eternal. Your soul is eternal. And we see how God standeth in the congregation of the mighty judges among the uh, gods. And then it says after that, in verse 7, they die like men, fall like princes. He says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. And there is a reference to the fact after this, as a point unto men wants to die, after this, the judgment. There is an after this. This is not all that there is. Material man today thinks that this is all that there is, and we die and go into the grave, and that's the end of it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is a judgment to come. And one day, those who are the Lord's, we will go to be with him. Our souls will arise and meet the Lord, and we will be with him. And then when he comes back again, we read that the graves will open and we will have glorified bodies and we'll be with him, body and soul, throughout all eternity. We think of how it says in Genesis 2 and 7, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We are living souls. That soul never comes to an end. That soul will exist. Our bodies will go into the ground for a while and be corrupted. But then we will have the body transformed and we will have new bodies. 
and we will be in the new heaven and the new earth throughout all eternity. And dear friend, you need to think about your soul. You need to deal with your soul. There is an eternity. There's an after this. And the Lord asked a very pertinent question. He said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Do you see the value of your soul? People generally don't. From here, if it wasn't dark, we would be able to see the Mourn Mountains. And sometimes on the Mourn Mountains, the mist comes down and people get lost and get into trouble. And you have the Mourn Mountain Rescue who will go up onto the mountain to look. Sometimes you'll have the air ambulance. Sometimes you'll have sniffer dogs who are trained to uh, find people up on the mountains. And every effort will be made to try and find the people, particularly if there are children involved. No doubt it will be in the papers. They will report about people missing. It will maybe be on the television. There will be reports about people missing on the mountains and the efforts that are being made to find them. And every effort is spared to make sure that people are found. And there is that value upon our life. But what about the soul? There's no mention of the soul. And yet, dear friend, if you lose your soul, you've lost everything. And we need to commit our soul to the God who gives life to the soul. You might die like a prince, but if you die without God, you die without hope. So men, women, the offer of God in the gospel is that if you come to him, he will give you eternal life. Life for the soul and life forevermore. Will you turn to Christ and will you call upon him for salvation and for mercy? May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Now, according to my watch, we've just reached eight o'clock, so we'll have the word of prayer after we stand for the two minutes silence. So let's uh, join with the nation in the two minutes silence that has been called.
our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven. We thank thee for the opportunity of meeting with thee. We do uh, thank thee for uh, the reign of Her Majesty the Queen. We pray for our nation in these incoming days. We pray for our King. We pray that thou wouldst save the King. God, save the King. And we pray that our nation might turn to thee in these days. We pray that they might think about their soul. We pray, Lord, that they might recognize the realities that are in front of us. And, O oh God, that there might be that speaking to everyone in this day. Bless thy word. We pray that thou wouldst write it upon our hearts, and we'd ask thee that thou wouldst part us in thy fear, and with thy blessing now, O oh God, that we might rest in thee, and we might know thy surrounding mercy upon us. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.